Well, um, praise the Lord and lovely to be with you. And um, please, would you turn up Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll read from the beginning of the verse, but I'll be speaking on verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4. Just say thank you also for praying for um, those of us who are out on Sunday preaching in various places. Us up at Campbellwell and um, very grateful for um, the Assembly Church here praying for that time. It's very touching to go to these places and see the great need there is for workers for laborers and i guess we just see a fraction of it don't we but it's very moving to see that and please do pray on for those great great needs well let's um, let's pray and, and then i'll read the uh read the scripture lord we thank you uh, for what we've sung of of that great um truth that we are redeemed and that blood of christ can still cleanse to this very hour and we uh, therefore come to you in his name once again and i ask you lord that you would graciously feed us look upon us O lord cleanse us from all that is amiss and would you speak afresh thrill us again with christ we ask amen so I'll read um, Ephesians chapter 4. It's such a great chapter, isn't it, that um, I don't like to speak of one verse, but I will read uh, through uh, from verse 1. Um, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you are worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, sorry, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Well, I could keep reading about the glory of Christ, which is what I'd like to speak on tonight. Um, from this great verse, verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, Easter feels already, doesn't it, like such a long time ago that we remembered the Resurrection Sunday and uh, Christ's death and then his resurrection. But in truth, we uh, in the church calendar, I know that the calendar we follow in this country is not exactly as it, as it could be. But if you accept we follow the church calendar in this country, that it was less than a couple of weeks ago that we remembered the death of Christ and uh, then the glory of his resurrection. But uh, certainly what we often forget is that Christ then remained on earth for a further 40 days after his uh, ascension before, after his resurrection, before he ascended up to heaven. And the book of Acts described that he sh after his passion, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And we're in that period now, as it were, when Christ, for 40 days, and if we accept that from April through to now, it would have been till about the middle of May, that Christ would have still been appearing to various people, at one point up to 500 people at the same time, and he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. 
And, um, and, and if I might make the very simple first point tonight, as we think about a bit more about his resurrection that's in verse 8 here. He ascended up on high. The, the great evidence of us believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is not cunningly devised fables, is it? There, there isn't any doubt about the one in whom we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was absolutely proven by his resurrection and by his ascension. And these 40 days that are accounted in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts absolutely show the infallible certainty of the proofs that we believe in. And I trust that tonight, wherever we are in the Lord, wherever we are beginning our walk or near the end of our walk, and many of us, we, we obviously don't know how far along our journey we actually are in the Lord's providence, the certainty of the things which we believe, that there is absolute no doubt about the identity and the victory that Christ won on the cross for us. And this, uh, I'd like to look in three parts very briefly tonight from this verse about Christ. And the first point being about he ascended up on high. And uh, it's glorious, isn't it, to think after the humility after the humiliation of Christ, his suffering, how shamefully he was treated, and how he yielded up all of his glory for us, didn't he? He tasted death for every man upon the cross. He yielded his soul as an offering for sin. And we, thankfully, the story of Christ does not end there, does it? But it goes on to his glorious ascension, where God raised him, to the very highest position that he could ever go to. I guess there's none who has ever been humbled in the manner that Christ was humbled. And equally, there's none who has ever glorified or ever will be glorified in the manner that Christ has now been glorified. And this verse describes it. He ascended up on high. And in fact, where um, Paul is quoting from in Ephesians chapter 4, it's worth, um, it's worth looking at it in your own time, but it's, it's quoted from Psalm 68. And this is where we have the description of him in verse 18 and 19. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. It's this scripture from Psalm 68 verse 18 that's being quoted here in Ephesians 4. But at the beginning of the psalm, he, the psalmist, which is thrillingly a psalm of David, says, Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that, have, uh, that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. And it, that great statement, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. It, and isn't that something fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ, in the spirit that David was talking about Christ arising and taking that place that was due him, that he should be, as Paul then in Ephesians writes, given a name that is above every name that is there. And I trust that tonight that there's something in your heart that rejoices. And maybe in our own circumstances, we might be laid low or we might not in our own lives be where we would wish to be and we feel that we're somewhat maybe humbled still. But what we can rejoice in is that our Saviour 
who suffered so much, who was humbled so much for our souls, has arisen and has been glorified and has seen this travail of his soul. And back in Ephesians, in chapter 1, he says, which he wrought in Christ, this is verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be ahead over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And this is what he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4 when he said, He ascended up on high. He has been raised from the dead to such heights of glory on our behalf. And we can, can't we, rejoice in the resurrection and the certainty of the one in whom we believe. And before I might move on, it's, it's the final, I suppose, point that I make on this is as we flick back to the Old Testament, this is also all, wasn't it, according to the Scriptures, that this wasn't something which was concocted by the New Testament believers, the idea of the resurrection of Christ. But it was actually foretold, wasn't it, absolutely, as we've read in Psalm 68, but elsewhere, that God shows his absolute sovereignty, and that before these things come to pass, God foretells them and declares them. The Old Testament, isn't it, is full of prophecies, uh, chiefly about the Lord Jesus Christ, but included in that of his resurrection and his ascension. That these are, again, things that not have been concocted by the New Testament believers, but were foretold by God and then fulfilled by Christ in his sovereignty. And this is the God in whom we believe in and whom we can rejoice in tonight. We may not be able to rejoice in many of our earthly circumstances now. You might be in manifold heaviness through the circumstances you're in. There might be many disappointments, and that's the reality of life, isn't it? That it's not, as we could put it, a bed of roses, is it? But what we can rejoice in is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated in the heavenly places far above all names and every power that ever has been. It's, it's to him that we can look, at, look to with all certainty. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And Christ has indeed risen and ascended on high. And I think it's legitimate to continue to preach the Easter message up, up until the middle of May, isn't it? And continue on this theme of the glory of Christ. But, but secondly tonight, uh, this thrilling truth, not only about the work of Christ being finished, and for us to have that certainty that our sins are forgiven, because God demonstrated it in raising his son from the dead, but also the effects of the work of Christ. And he says it back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. He led captivity captive. And um, some commentators have likened it to a glorious conquering king who comes back from their triumphs and with them brings a train of their victories, of the tokens of the things that they have won with them. Uh, and you, you might have seen of some depictions of, for example, of Julius Caesar returning from his victories, coming back to Rome, and someone holding a wreath over his head of victory. And behind him would be the, the, 
train of prisoners that he had were, were sort of symbolic of that he had won. Well, for Christ, that train of victories that he brings with them is captivity itself that he carries with him. And we might say, well, what on earth is this? Uh, I often think that we have some great songs in England, but we also have some maybe of the worst songs in England. And forgive me if this is one of your favorites, but that, that song, Rule Britannia, Britain never, never shall be slaves. And I, I wonder if you sing that, um, and in your heart you think, that's so false. We're, we're, most of us are in slavery to this day. And you might slightly puff your chest out of that and say, but we will never, never be slaves. We're British. But the scripture says, doesn't it, very clearly, the Jewish people were equally offended by such a suggestion. But isn't it the truth that, that all who sin are slaves to sin, that we are held captive by sin, that all of us from our birth until that point we're set at liberty by Christ are in fact captives to sin. That is that we obey the lust of another in the things that we do. We are, um, in that respect, if we're honest with ourselves, servant to something which we might in our mind know to be wrong, but we can't stop doing. And maybe tonight you have tried in your own strength to say, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I mean, we're not long into this new year, are we? And there might be some who made some very bold New Year's resolutions. He said, this year I am going to stop doing this thing. And maybe by April, where we are now, you've already realized you can't and you've given up on that. Well, the answer is, of course, that in ourselves, we're not able to simply choose to break off from sin and say, I will do it no more. Because the Bible describes us as being captives under sin until Christ sets us free. But the glorious message is that Christ not only set himself free, rose from the dead, not that he had any sin, but he rose from the dead. But he also, at that point, carried captivity free. And in that respect, he is able to set us at liberty also from sin. In Isaiah 61, verse 1, a scripture again that Christ, when he went into the tabernacle, picked up and started to read from this very verse and said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know, there's no one who can set themselves free from sin. We can't decide one day, right, that's it, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Nor does Christ call us to follow him in that manner, where we must first set ourselves free, break free from the prison, and then follow Christ. There's none who can do that. But Christ is able to proclaim liberty to the captives. Because of his resurrection, he carried the gates of death and the law of God was fulfilled by Christ. And therefore, he is able to set us free. In fact, he said very thrillingly, if the Son of Man shall set you free, you will be free indeed. That's uh, as a, like a bird that's been caught in a cage. 
Christ sets us free. But having done that, he then breaks the cage that once held us. And we are, in that way, free indeed. Now, I thought of this as an illustration from the Old Testament. And I know there are some shortcomings to using this as an illustration. But I thought it might illustrate it quite well. And that was Samson. And he is a bit of a mixed character, isn't he? Both very much used of God, but also sailing very close to sinful practices. But on one occasion, he is gone up to a city in Gaza, and they know that he's there. They're trying to catch him, and they shut the gates of the city. And it says at midnight, he arose, that's Samson, and he went out, and he took the doors. He just, as you know, if they're not familiar with Samson, he was a, by the Spirit of God, he was a remarkably strong man. A miraculously strong man. But it says he took the doors of the gate of the city and the posts and went away with them, bar and all. Can you imagine that? They, they locked the gate, thought, right, we've got him. He's locked in. And instead he just picked the whole thing up. He ripped the doorposts out and he, t- he didn't need to open the gates. He just carried the whole thing away on his shoulders and carried it away. And I think the reason why I say that is that in some respects, that's a good illustration of what Christ did. He carried captivity away with him. Uh, When he rose, the thing that held us, sin, was carried away by Christ. And the, the gates have not just been opened, but they've been carried away by Christ bars and all. You see, what God in his righteousness did while Christ was on the cross was that he also nailed the law of God also to the cross as well, that Christ fulfilled it. You can think that when the Romans hammered that sign above Christ's head on the cross that said, the king of the Jews, that was the charge that's put against him. Well, that was what man said. But God, as it were, was nailing to the cross with Christ the law of God and fulfilled it. So that when he, ah, when we come to God in our sinful state and we've broken the law of God, it has been fulfilled and satisfied in Christ. And therefore, he is able to proclaim liberty to us and the end of our captivity, that we can be justly forgiven by God. And isn't this part of the glory of Christ? Not only that he rose from the dead, but that he carried captivity with him and therefore is able to declare righteous liberty to us who were bound in hell for eternity. We're released by Christ. Glory be to our God and all that he has done. And, and if, there's, if there's any more glory, you could say, what more could Christ do? to make his ascension and his death and victory even more glorious. Well, there is one final thing, which is this in verse verse 8. And he gave gifts unto, unto men. And you might say rather jealously and think, well, wow, what gift will Christ give me? Maybe he will give me a pot of gold uh, or something astonishing such as that. Or, well, where's my gift? If he's given gifts unto men, then where's the one that I should have received? But here is the, the gracious wisdom of, and 
merit and favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. It passeth knowledge, doesn't it? His dear love for us, as the hymn writer says. It's hard, isn't it, to fathom the extent to which Christ hath loved us and laid down his life for us. And not only has he died for us, not only has he carried captive, captivity away for us, but he's also given gifts unto men. And just to explain what those are, look back at verse 7. He says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. To everyone who comes to Christ, Christ gives to us, every one of us, without fail, from the grace, the, from the gift of Christ, he gives gifts to every single one of us. Isn't it thrilling that when we come to Christ, not only will he take away the things that once bound us, but he will give gifts to us, things that are from his very holy presence that will um, be to our benefits. And you might now be somewhat excited and think it's rather like discovering you've got a rich relative and a lawyer's come to see you and said, uh, did you know that your very rich great aunt, who maybe you've not met, has left a gift for you? And you might think, wow, how much money is it that I've been left by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? But of course, he's talking here of something far richer than that, isn't he? Something that exceeds anything that any man could ever give. And it's a gift, of course, that is not for our own benefit, is it? It's a gift whereby we might be able to benefit those who are within the church. Just look down at verse 11, and he gives some examples about what this is. He gave, so what are the gifts? He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you might not be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. These are some of the examples of the gifts that Christ gave. But the common description, the common purpose of the gifts which we all receive are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, we are all, aren't we, given a role in the body of Christ. We all have different roles, but that role is it, the gift that Christ has given to us. And every one of us have very different roles and very different gifts. But the, common, the two common points about all of us is, First, none of us can ever say it's from me, that it was my natural gifting and my natural ability that means that I am able to do this. Not one can ever say that. The one who might appear fruitful in the service of Christ, it has come from a gift from Christ and not from themselves. All that we have has come from him. But the second common thing of all the gifts is that they will be for the work of the ministry, for the work of service of the body of Christ, for the edifying of others, for the work that Christ now does on the earth. And some might be troubled and thinking, well, I've started following Christ. How am I going to endure unto the end? Because we'll know there's no good entering a race. We can all watch the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games if you're into athletics and know that if you're running a marathon, 
The first 100 meters is broadly irrelevant. It's you need to be able to finish the whole race. And we know that in the world, and we know that as Christians too, don't we? We must also finish the race, not just begin it. And we might be thinking, how can I finish the race that Christ has given me to run? Well, the answer is that God has given to the body of Christ, to our believers, gifts whereby I will be perfected and whereby I will be built up and equipped. And likewise, he has given me a gift. I talk not of myself, to, about each of us. Gifts whereby we might better edify one another. We might better finish the work that Christ has gone. You see, far from it, Christ, uh, from Christ leaving us on our own to run the race on our own now that he has ascended. He's not an absent king who has left us just to fend for ourselves until his return. Far from it. He is the conquering king who has richly provided gifts to his church, whereby we might be able to walk in the way that Christ has been enabled. And the final witness, the final evidence, we might say, of Christ's work being f successful, being victorious, is the work that he does to this day in his church where we see that the church is not just a, a tradition or a, a series of meetings that we follow together, but we see that there is the life of Christ here. There is the edifying of itself. There is the work going on that shows that Christ is at work and he is alive and we serve a risen saviour. Doesn't it follow to say, well, what am I doing with the gift that Christ has given to me? Am I as that servant who says, well, Christ has given me something, I'm going to wrap that gift in a napkin and bury it in the ground so when he comes back, I can give it back to him? Is that how we are to be faithful with a gift? Or is it rather that we might take it, that we might exercise that gift to one another in the body of Christ for the work of ministry that he's given to us? What are we doing with that gift that God has given us? We can't all be teachers or pastors or evangelists can we but we can all we all have a role that Christ will give to us in his ministry that we might better work to him and isn't it true that none of us are useful in our own respect but thank God that he takes those things that are useless that maybe even the world has just rejected entirely and said the world has no use for this but Christ says I have use for that purpose for that person I will deliver them from sin. I will give them a work to do for me that only they can do. And I will equip them unto that work. The Lord has use of us. We might just be, as someone else has said, useless asses that no one has, has use for. But the master has use for us and he gives us work to do. This is the glory of Christ. Let me finish again by reading verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Amen.